Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, Attorney Kim Hegwood with Hegwood Law Group and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning and welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood, and our very special guest today, Pam Ostrowski, right? That's correct. Thank you. Oh, thank goodness I didn't mess that up. <laughs> and uh, and you're with uh, Alzheimer's uh, Family Consulting. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're going to talk a little bit about Alzheimer's today, and then we'll talk a little bit about the book. And so, so we don't want to miss that either. And so I know that a, a lot of children um, have difficulty trying to figure out the right time, you know, when it's time to move, you know, parents from you know, communities from home to maybe different communities, um, depending on, you know, problems. And so how do you get involved in, in helping families, you know, you know, loved ones with dementia help make those decisions? So the, the biggest challenge is planning. And, and of course, this is something you can relate to based on what you do. Uh, it, we usually see uh someone who has fallen because they've been living alone and they're having issues with peripheral vision they're having as we age we have all of these these varying um capacities that that decrease and they end up in the hospital and then the next step is the family members say mom or dad fell and they're in the hospital and we need a place to put them and they will call a local place they should call a local placement person for that and that's not the situation that I think any of us really want to be in. So it's time for us all to, for lack of a better term, you know, put our, put our big girl panties on and say <laughs> it's, and it's because it's usually women who start these conversations um, and say, okay, we need to know what your trigger points are for the level of, capacity. So I am a sooner smarter type person because as soon as you get that diagnosis, family members will start feeling anxious. They'll be confused. They'll be overwhelmed with information. They won't know which direction to go in. And that's why I became an Alzheimer's family guide uh, and consultant was really because there isn't, there's a lot of information out there, but you don't know which one, what, what information should apply to you. Well, we find, you know, and it's that, you know, ton more people are becoming seniors every year. We're getting a huge amount of baby boomers that are that are getting older. 10,000 people every, is it every week or every month or something like that? Yeah, are turning 65. Yeah. It's crazy. And so I, I tell clients all the time, you know, we're living longer, but we're not necessarily living better. You know, so we have to really, really watch for those kinds of things. And so, yes. So when should families start talking uh, about a loved one moving into a care community? Well, I believe that there are trigger points where we look at mobility. We look at general capability, the activities of daily living, which is, a, is ADLs. You know, are they typically we wait until they cannot bathe themselves. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot take their medication. So there's a medication mix up. Either they're not taking them and they have a, 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 an issue with whatever they have. 
um, or they're taking too many of them, which has the um, just as bad of a result. And so they wait until some sort of catastrophe happens. So what if we back that movie up a little bit and say, what would be the things, aside from those tragic things, what would be the things that would lead you to believe that it's time for you to move? And get that person that everybody should be having these conversations. It, it shouldn't just be, you know, because one out of nine people over the age of 65 are diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And you just pointed out how many people are aging, you know, hitting 65 per day or per week or per month. And so the question is, when is when not when is not the right time? And the bottom line is, if you're in your 40s or 50s, and you in dementia is possible. You know, we have early onset dementia. We've got frontal temporal dementia. Alzheimer's is just one type of over, you know, well over 100 types of dementia. So it's important to say my parents had this whole plan and my mom had a 14 year journey with Alzheimer's and dad had a three year journey with vascular dementia at the same time. And they planned for everything. But what happened? So it was, it put a lot, of, and it does put a lot of strain on families to have this conversation without the loved one. Because once, once a person is um, diagnosed with dementia, they can't sign any more paperwork and they're scared and they're fearful and they're not coming from a, a, pl a place of common sense, of level thinking. They're thinking, oh my gosh, I have dementia. This is not going to end well. And so that, that really, I try to paint a scenario of, you know, look, we can avoid this because we can talk about it sooner. So that's where you come in. <laughs> so what's the biggest obstacle to moving a loved one? What do you think it is? My head. Family. I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, to me, it, there's, there's plenty of support. So you would, um, you can bring in in-home care initially, but that for someone who's been diagnosed with dementia, they need stimulation. They need good nutrition. They need someone monitoring their fluids because even as, as we age, we don't drink enough water. Um, but for a person with dementia, um, they, they need clear uh, glasses to drink from to see that there's fluid in them. And there has to be encouragement and metrics for making sure that they are drinking enough uh, fluids. And so we, we end up in a situation where none of that's happening. So the family will say, well, we'll bring someone in. So they bring someone in. It, it's, it's a compromise. It's a first step in the earliest stages of dementia. But then the next step is, you know, they're, they're struggling to, to function and they need to go somewhere. And you have a placement agent who can then help you with that. And you want to use a local one, not a nationwide one necessarily. So, because they know the ins and outs of every community. And then we move the loved one in and the loved one's like, Oh my gosh, this looks like fun. And the child, the adult child is, I don't like this place. And it's like, well, you're not living there. And then it's, well, they're not doing it right. That's not how, that's not the sweater that mom wears with those pants. And so in my consulting, I talk with them about, is she clean? Is she happy? Is she doing things? Is she well-fed? Is she getting her medications as she should? Yes, yes, yes. 
okay, so let's, let's talk about what's really bothering you because we lose when we're, when we're family members, we feel like we lose our identity to the care community caregivers. There's an innate feeling of them taking over your loved one. And so the human reaction is to fight it. It's not an us versus them. We're all on the same team to get the best care possible for the loved one. And I, family members really struggle with that. It is, it is a very, very difficult emotion and logic to work through. I find with the families that I work, work with, you know, when they have to make the decision that they've got to move mom or dad, that it's an overwhelming feeling of guilt, <laughs> you know, that they, you know, they just, cause they, they have to do it and they don't want to do it. And it's just in the struggle is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I, I see that as, is one of the biggest obstacles is that they have to deal with their, their own issues in regards to how they feel and things like that. So it makes it really difficult um, you know, trying to trans, you know, trying to transition. And so um, we talked yeah, quite a lot about moving, think about moving before, you know, visiting places, you know, so just, you know, especially if one is living by themselves, you know, because I just think that if they're not out and getting out and meeting people and having fun, then, you know, then and having a sense of purpose. Yeah. You know, people are trained in memory care in particular, but you brought up a good point. I believe that a person who has early stage dementia should move into assisted living, for, you know, depending on their behaviors and what are they're what they're struggling with, so that they can adapt to the environment and really start getting that stimulation to get the highest level of care and stimulation and nutrition so that they stay at where they're at. They don't decline as fast. And we can't guarantee that, but we're giving them the best environment possible. It's just like when you water, you know, a flower and you give it fertilizer, you're, you're helping it thrive and it may still die because it's 120 degrees out in the summertime, but you did the best you could. And the thing with the guilt is that that's a result of not planning and not consulting the individual and ignorance about what care communities look like today. It's not a nursing, it's not a skilled nursing facility where there's medical issues. It's basically a docked luxury cruise liner with people of the same age, all wandering around, having a great time and singing along to the same songs and you know eating well and playing cards and it, you know, it, it's, it's not a horrific place to be. And yet we have all of these associations with it that really, really need to be modified. And I found when, when they moved my, my ex-mother-in-law from the house to assisted living, her health improved for a while, yep. you know, so she was so much better, you know, and so, and, and she was the first one to tell you, we should have done this years ago. I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> so. Oh. And, and that's an awesome story. It's one of those things where that's typical mm -hmm. and yet it's the best kept secret. Yeah. And so I've kind of made it my mission to use programs like this and my book and, 
and doing a lot of speaking to educate families on that, that this isn't something you should feel guilty about. I believe you should feel guilty if you're leaving your loved one at home alone with potentially some in-home care that comes in once in a while. And that's, that's not good for someone with dementia. We learned that through COVID. Yeah. And so that's what you should feel guilty is that you're not doing the best and that you're depriving them of the opportunity to get better care, more stimulation, all the things that we've talked about. So yeah. I'm so happy to hear your story. It was amazing, you know, for someone who couldn't get out of the recliner to, you know, with her walker running up and down the hall, you know, three, three good meals a day. She didn't, she didn't have to cook, didn't have to do her own laundry. She just got to didn't hang out. Clean. She didn't have to clean. I mean, she was so excited not to have to do that kind of stuff. And she said, um, you know, my father-in-law already had just passed. And she said, I, I hate that he would have loved this. All those people for him to talk to, because he was such a people person yeah. that, that she said he would have enjoyed that, you know? And I think those are kinds of things that kids don't, don't grasp sometimes, you know, because yeah. they always think it's so bad to move. Um, I can remember going into one facility going, how old do I have to be here to live here? You know, to live here. I said the same thing to my mom. I said, forget dad, you and I'll live here because it's a beautiful apartment. They had a two bedroom apartment um, because she had memory issues. There was no stove or anything like that. So we didn't want her to leave anything on, but it's, it's a beautiful environment. And I sometimes think, you know, back, you know, when we were struggling in college and just out of college and you're looking for your apartment and you're paying very little and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, this is your opportunity to live the life you deserve and you've worked so hard for all of your life. Now you have staff, you have people who, who wait on you, you know, would you like another cookie, you know, Mr. Ostrowski? Uh, you know, or asking mom, you know, Loretta, would you like to go get some ice cream? My mom loved ice cream. So, you know, and it's right there. It's not like you had to get in the car and go get it. Everything is there. Yeah, it's um, we've, we're blessed here that we have a lot of really good you know, facilities. They're a lot of fun and and they're really working hard to make them, you know, just as is entertaining, you know, and stimulating as possible because it's just so good, you know, for the seniors there. So, mm -hmm. yes. yes. So, so what's one piece of advice you can give that will help families going through this type of move? I would say release the control, the need to control the environment that your loved one is moving into. It will not be perfect. I will guarantee that nothing in life is perfect. So why would you go in and expect it to be in a care community? These individuals, whether it's the executive director, the health services nurse, or the caregivers or head of caregiving, all of them have processes and procedures in place to take the best care possible of your loved one. But they might not know what sweater goes with which pants. They might not be able to find the socks. Um, you know, there's all those things that we like to control and it's mostly because we're feeling out of control and that they're fine. And so take a look inside, take lots of deep breaths, be kind to yourself, be compassionate with yourself as an adult child, because this is a difficult journey. And it's also an acceptance of where things are going. 
So my mom was had dementia for 14 years. My brothers from 2001 to 2015, every year were wondering if this would be her last Christmas. You have no idea how long this individual will live. You know, none of us know how long we're going to live. So let's make these the best days possible. Let's make our interactions positive and creating moments of joy. And those usually don't happen just sitting there recounting your stressful day at work to your parent. It's not what that's not what that's not a moment of joy. So helping helping, you know, live their helping them live their lives and provide the best quality of care and let go of control. Let's talk about the book. Ah, the book. So it's not that simple because it's not. (laughs) And um, it's uh, helping families navigate the Alzheimer's journey. The book is based on the 14-year journey. And I basically wrote it as a guidebook because when I was going through it, I didn't know the, you know, what's dementia versus Alzheimer's, you know, what, what's this test that mom took? And so it's all, the first chapter is all about level setting what the disease is and what dementia is and what diagnostics are out there and you know what medications are out there as well um and then we move into well you know when's the right time to talk about moving and then how many conversations does that take and then we move into what if the care plans don't match you know what are your care options so dad was independent and mom was assisted and then they moved up and then dad was assisted and mom was memory care And so she was always one step ahead of him, but that continuum of care is really important to understand. And I talk about the emotional roller coaster because, you know, my mom hadn't said my name in years, probably two or three years. And I walked through the door of her memory care community in the activity center. And she said, Pammy, I didn't know whether to cry or laugh. And I think I did both. So talking about that and then the next day, nothing. And I didn't hear my name again. So those are sad moments, but sometimes we accelerate those sad moments. We try to play out the worst case scenarios. And so I talk about in the book about how do you handle the emotional part of that? And also um, what your, you know, how do you work? How do you communicate with someone with dementia? Because there are a lot of people out there who want to introduce their reality to someone who can't process information anymore. And all it does is create sadness on the loved one's part and anger and frustration on the family member's part. And nobody's needs that at this stage in their lives. You know, you don't want to ruin your relationship just because you, you don't want to accept and communicate appropriately with someone with dementia. So I spend a lot of time on that. And then when the end is near, I walk through how I knew that my mom was ready to go and what that looked like. And I've had readers come back to me and say, I had no idea that's what happens because we don't typically talk about when people pass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do family within family members. So I, I did a gentle nod to, you know, um, how this all happens and the involvement of hospice. And by the way, to that point, hospice is not for people the four days before they die. Correct. It's, it's <laughs> like a task force comes in and, and, you know, helps your loved one rally. My mom had, was on hospice for four times because she had four dips in her her um, disease. And as soon as everybody, like you mentioned, everybody started to pay attention and she she started to do better. 
change the medications or do this or do that. And so really understanding the role of every entity in this process and respecting them, having calm, kind conversations for the best quality care of your loved one. And that's really what the book is about is how do you do that? Perfect. And so it's been a pleasure. And so, Thank you so much, Kim. How does someone find you? So the best thing to do is email me at Pam at it's not that simple, no apostrophes, it's not that simple.com. Uh, you can find a lot more about what I do on my website, Alzheimer's family consulting.com. Spelling Alzheimer's is usually the tough part of that website address. <laughs> is it E I or I E? Yeah. Uh, it's E I. Um, and, um, you know, that's those two things are the, probably the best way to reach me. You can find me on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn as well under my name, Pam Ostrowski. So you can find more information there too. try to keep as much information out there as possible to help educate people. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. I appreciate it immensely. And you have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcast as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice. 